last installment on our series on suicide and suicidal thoughts. I think that the longer we live in this country that uh, strays from God and becomes less uh, trusting in him, I think the numbers will continue to go up. As church attendance has gone down, suicide rates have gone up, no matter how you look at it in this country. So with that being said, this has been a real weighty subject. This is our third and final installment on the subject. I'll just take a moment and go by way of review. Um, The Bible says one of the Ten Commandments is thou shall not kill. I believe suicide is one of those commandments that thou shall not kill, number six. It's a subset of that. There's certain things in there like abortion um, that um, our culture says, well, some people in our culture says that is not murder. God said it is. Capital punishment. Some in our society say that is murder, and the Bible says that is not. Acts of war, acts of self-defense, those are all legitimate. So we can go through all those legalities. We've talked about that early on. There's the one thing I do want to stress. We hit this on the first day. I'll hit it on the last day. I don't believe how you die determines where you'll go. When we look at Scripture, we see too many promises. We see Samson, who in a brat fit killed himself. It was not an act of martyrdom. It was avenge me of mine eyes. And we see him listed in Hebrews chapter 11. Thanks to Amber, she pointed it out. King Saul, the day before he died, Samuel said, Tomorrow you and your sons will be with me in glory. His son being Jonathan. Saul will be there too, and he committed suicide. So, How you die does not determine where you go, okay? We'll leave those decisions in the hands of God, and we will not sit back on our judgment throne. I still haven't found the first verse where he delegated authority to me to decide who's going to heaven and who's not. So we'll just trust him, okay? Suicide series. First lesson we did is we looked at five Old Testament characters, and all five of these had a death wish, Moses, Elijah, Job, Jeremiah, and Jonah. And we stress this to show that <clears throat> these are men that had things happen to them on the outside capacity. For instance, Moses just felt overwhelmed with his ministry. Elijah just went a period without food and sleep. And because of that deprivation, he wasn't thinking clearly anymore. God gave him some rest him same food, 40 days of it, and strengthened him. Job had terrible calamities happen to him. And uh, he, he just uh, uh, suffered all kinds of loss, mourning of the loss of children, the loss of health, the loss of provisions. And um, there was no sin there. It was just outside circumstances. And we studied these five men, and we noticed a pattern. What the pattern was was these five men is they had isolated themselves from God and other believers. They lost perspective. They came to the conclusion that everything depended on them, which is a silly conclusion when you're thinking straight. But how easily do we fall into that? You can see it in their language. The me monster just engulfed their language. It was loaded with me, myself, and I. And then in the second lesson, we looked at five people that actually took their lives. These are Old Testament men who succumbed to the inroads and overrides. Now, I made the point, and I tried to stress this last week, that sin can be the cause 
of this action, but it's not always. Sometimes it's an outside influence, but in this case, it was an inside occasion. And in each case, Samson and Saul and Abimelech and Ahithophel and Zimri, those were five people that actually took their lives. And we noticed in each of their lives, these five, it was a consequence of sin. God, God had given them a life, but Satan found an inroad. We looked at his tactics. He, looks, he searches us from toe, head to toe, and he looks for a hole. He looks for a hole, and once he gains access, he'll go inside and he'll eat like a cancer till it's all taken away, kind of like termites. He'll go in and you look at the wood from the outside, it looks pretty good, but when you crack it open, it's just, there's nothing there, there's no strength, there's nothing to it. Well, that's the way this sin was in all these. Samson, the Enron, was lust. Saul's was um, pride. Abimelech's was power. And uh, Ahithophel was ego and hatred and bitterness. So we looked at those, and we noticed that what happens is, is we've got to react quickly, promptly, and properly. Okay? So there's hope there. And today, I want to look at three New Testament characters that Satan tempted with suicide. I want to look at Judas, Jesus, and the jailer, okay? You think, really? Satan tempted Jesus with suicide? Yeah, he tried to get him jump from a tall building, okay? So we'll look at that in a second. But the first one up is Judas, and we want to see that Judas pretty much falls into the outline that we, say we presented last Sunday. So I'm going to read John 12, 4 through 6. And, and, and Satan was looking at him from head to toe, and he found his weakness. You know what Judas's weakness was? Greed. He was a thief. He was sifting off the top of the poor fund for, for a long time. This is in John 12, 4 through 6. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This, he said, because he didn't care about the poor people, because he was a thief. He was skimming from the top and had the bag and bare what was put therein. In Luke 22, 3 through 5, it says, Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being in the number of the twelve. And he went his way, and he communed with the chief priest and the captains how he might betray unto him. And they were glad and covenant to give him money. He'd been with Jesus for three and a half years. He was taught the word, but he ignored it. He sought counsel. He sought fellowship with evil people. He had a sin, and it was left unchecked. Not only was it left unchecked, it expanded, and it grew, and it was unrestrained, kind of like termites, and it ate him from within. We keep on going in Matthew 26, 14 and 15. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said to them, What will you give me? Here's that greed again. And I will deliver him unto you. And they covenanted with him for thirty pieces of silver. Okay, thirty pieces of silver, I'll turn over the best friend a man could ever have. Friendship means nothing to him, because he valued the money more. Okay? 
And then finally, Matthew 27, three through five. Then Judas, which betrayed him when he saw that he was condemned. This is after Jesus was crucified. Repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces to the chief priests and the elders saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. So here's a case where he did. Um, Greed led to treachery, treachery led to guilt, and guilt led to suicide. That's that escalating, growing sin that's allowed to to go. Now I've got a couple points I want to make here. Love of money was the opening Satan used to gain an inroad with Judas. That's what it was. It's not always that. With Samson, it was lust for women, right? For Saul, it was power, jealousy. For Ahithophel, it was bitterness. He knows what your weakness is. My weakness is going to be different than your weakness. He knows which one to go for. And when that's left unchecked, and it grows and it festers and expands. And then finally, without intervention or recall of Scripture, unchecked greed destroyed Judas. All right, I'm not trying to turn you into a bunch of Pharisees. But we do have a growing problem in this country, and it is suicide. It is growing. I think everybody in here uh, knows of, of either a family member or friend or knows of a family member or friend who had a family member that has committed suicide. It affects people and the people left behind with their tremendous guilt. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to be aware of certain behaviors, And these behaviors of isolating yourself from godly people, isolating yourself from God, giving into a sin, letting it go unchecked and unrestrained is something that's not good for anyone, even if suicide is not the ultimate result. These are all things we've got to be on guard for. So we as parents, as brothers, as co-workers, as neighbors, as school teachers, we need to be on the lookout for certain behaviors. And we see that people that start withdrawing themselves, that's the worst thing you can do. But that's the natural response to someone that's headed in that direction. So it's okay to stick your nose in that guy's business or that girl's business. Okay, Love him tenderly, love him compassionately, but not like a Pharisee. Okay, let's look at the second one. We want to look at Jesus. This is recorded in Matthew 4. Now, this ought to scare the daylights out of everyone here. If Satan will try to put the thought of suicide into Jesus' head, wouldn't he try it with you? Amen? Okay. So here we are in Matthew 4, and this is after he got him in a weak moment. That's usually when he attacks, in a weak moment. And he had just been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. This is Matthew 4 and verse 2. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterwards hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered, It is written. You know what Jesus' defense was? The Bible. Jesus, the Word made flesh, the Son of God, that never sinned, used the Bible as his defense. Wouldn't that be a pretty good defense for you? 
When I go to Ephesians 6 and I look at the armor of God, there are seven tools that we can use to protect ourselves. Do you know three out of the seven are the Word of God? Three out of the seven. The sword, the gospel, the truth, right? Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. So what happens is Satan's checking him out. And you can almost see him with the sword hitting him, and he's hitting him up high. He's going to hit him low. He's going to hit him in the middle. And Jesus comes back and protects himself. He blocks every blow with the sword. See, the sword's good for delivering blows, but it's also good for blocking blows. Amen? So now I'm going to read 5 and 6. Then the devil taketh up into the holy city and setteth on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. Jump. Jump. Satan's a liar. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. And he makes promises he can't deliver on. But he doesn't care. He's going to get you any way he can. And notice what Jesus says. He says, for it is written. Again, he uses scripture to block the blow. He shall give his angels charge concerning thee and their hands that shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. Now, what's happening here is Satan is good. He's misusing scripture. He's a liar. And when we go to the garden, he took God's word. And the first thing he did was, cast a little doubt. And then he added to the word. And then he denied the word. And then he changed the word. This is what he's doing here. He's taking scripture out of context. Jesus said, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. See, Jesus knew God's word too well to be tricked. And he adored God too much to be fooled into following Satan. Amen? Jesus submitted to Scripture and Satan fled. Does that sound like a verse from last week? Submit yourselves unto God and resist the devil and he will flee. That's right. And guess what happened? He took him, he hit him high, he hit him low, he hit him in the middle, and Jesus blocked every blow with Scripture. And what did Jesus do? He fled. He fled. Judas didn't use any Scripture against Satan, and Satan just entered right on in. Jesus used Scripture, and he couldn't even get close to him. That might be a lesson for us, amen? Okay. One more, the jailer. This account's in Acts 16. I told you last week that this has been a heavy message and we've dealt with people that struggled. Today I want to spend some time on the cure. So this is one more person that's struggling with this issue. Here's the jailer, and this is a New Testament. He got really close. Matter of fact, his suicide was in progress. His sword was pulled out. I'm guessing that he had the butt end of the, of the sword on the ground and he had a, the point was sticking his belly and he was ready to thrust himself on there. And along comes Paul and he says, don't, stop. Let's read the count. Acts 16, verse 26. 
And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had fled. Well, why on earth would a man kill himself simply because some prisoners escaped? Well, under the Roman law, if a prisoner did escape from a guard, they'd kill you. That was the penalty. So what he's going to do is he's going to beat the executioner to the punch. I figured this is the more honorable way. I'm just going to end it. But Paul was there. But Paul cried with a loud voice saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Guys, this guy here is a pagan. He's not asking about heaven right here. This is a man that was just ready to kill himself. And he says, what must I do to be saved? And you know what's cool? Paul's going to tell him about Jesus, so instead of killing himself, he's going to take him home, feed him, and hear some more. And you know what? He is going to get saved. You know what happened? The magistrate said, let these guys go. So he's not going to be convicted. He's not going to be judged for letting prisoners escape. He was delivered from, I believe, the salvation he's asking for, given the context of this passage. Okay? Verse 31 through 33. And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved, thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and all that were in his house. And he took them straightway the same hour, and washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all of his house, straightway. Verse 34. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them, and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. You know what? Praise the Lord. Amen. The gospel hope is something that is, transcends this earth. It's something that when we go to Romans 8, verse 16, maybe it's verse 8 to 16, when Paul wrote, he says, I've reckoned with the trials of this world, but what waits me? There's so much more. These trials are nothing compared to the glory which waits. The hope we have will get us through these trials. And that's what Paul shared with him. Let's do a little compare and contrast between these three guys. Okay? Okay, number one. I wrote down here. Let's look at these three guys. Satan's inroads. Judas, he used greed. Jesus, he tried to use ego. And the jailer, he tried to use fear. For Judas, it worked. For Jesus, it didn't work because he had scripture. And the jailer, it almost worked until he heard the gospel. You know what happened? The jailer didn't know the gospel. And he made some inroads. Y'all, that's your job. You share the gospel for the folks that haven't heard. Got it? 
Number two, Judas ignored God's word, Jesus applied God's word, and the jailer never heard God's word. Folks, that's your job. You share it with that coworker, with that neighbor, that in-law. Satan entered Judas, could not get close to Jesus. He got close to the jailer, but guess what? He fled him too after he got hold of the gospel. Satan destroyed Jesus, made no headway with Jesus, and eventually departed from the jailer. Judas had evil advisors. Jesus had scripture, and the jailer had no one at first, but then he had Paul. You see, it's important to be around godly people. It's important to be around godly folks. And we're going to go into that in a second. Cool. So let me take a step back, look at all three lessons, and then we'll go to some hope. Okay? Okay, we'll go back here. Number one, Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. This is the um, armor of God. Satan scams us from top to, scans us from top to bottom. He identifies the weaknesses, and then he attacks And each of us have different weaknesses. You may struggle with ego. You may struggle with lust. You may struggle with, it doesn't matter. We all have our weakness. And he's looking at it from top to bottom, and he's always looking at us. And maybe the weakness I had at 20s is not the weakness I have in my 60s. But we all have our weaknesses. Satan hates God's word. He wants to cast doubt on it. That's the last place he wants you going to is God's word. And he lies continually and promises things he cannot deliver. Okay, there's a parallel. Okay, looking at all these, we just looked at 13 people. Five with a death wish, five that committed suicide, and these three right here. I I want to parallel cancer and suicide. From a natural standpoint, sometimes you get cancer and it's totally out of your control. Maybe you got a genetic disposition to it. Can you blame that on anybody? No. Maybe it's the environment that you're growing up and you grew up in a house with lead paint or asbestos and all of a sudden that environment did it. Is, is that your fault? No. Okay. But maybe you had input into it. Maybe you ate poorly and smoked all your life. Amen. Or maybe you lived in a place where you were constantly bombarded with stress. And it beat up your immune system. Did you have some input to that? The answer is yes. But you know what? It doesn't matter if you had no input to it or you had input to it. Your response is going to be the same. You want to respond quickly and properly. Right? Well, suicide's the same thing. We can look at some people like Job and Elijah was, did they sin? Did they do anything wrong? The answer is no. We can look at some people like Ahithophel and Zimri and Abimelech. Did they sin? They were horrible. Amen? But the response is the same. It doesn't matter if you had input into the, prop, prop, the process or you didn't have any input whatsoever. The response is going to be exactly the same. It's going to be scripture and it's going to be hope. See, as I'm coming through this and I'm looking at all the people that was affected with this thought, Jesus or Satan's tempted Jesus with taking his own life. I can't sit on my high horse and look at me. How dare you have that thought? I can say, respond in a godly way. 
your natural response is to withdraw. That's the worst thing you can do. Start reading your word and get around godly people. And I share, you know, you know when I'm down in the dumps, and I, I, I'm, I don't have a suicidal thought, but even when I'm down in the dumps, my response is very natural. I shared that with you. Deborah will come up to me and, what's wrong? Nothing. What can I do to help you? Best way you can help me is leave me alone. Right? Come on, am I the only one that's admitted to doing this kind of stuff? That, that's the way we react, right? It's the worst thing you can do. Especially when it's elevated to that kind of depression level. Okay? So the causes of both illnesses must be responded to promptly and properly. It doesn't matter if it came from the outside or if it came from the inside. Once it's there, that's how we deal with it. Now again, we can do some preventative medicine. We can do things so it doesn't come from the inside. That's definitely so. That's what we'll get to now. Okay? And the last one, I want to use a building metaphor. Okay, I'm going to go to Matthew 7, and I'm going to have to read this to you. Jesus is talking here. I want to talk about this house that's going to be built. I want to do a parallel. I'm going to read this to you. I'm in Matthew 7. Let me read 24 through 27. Therefore, whoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I liken him unto a wise man which buildeth his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house. And it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. I want you to notice, it didn't say you sinned, so the storm came. It didn't say that. What did it did? What did it say? It said rains came on both houses, the one that was built on the rock and the one that was built on the sand. And everyone that heareth of these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon the house, and it fell, and great was the fall thereof. So I got some points here. Number one, inspectors tell us where we can build our house and where we don't, cannot. And sometimes the inspectors irritate us, don't they? Inspectors are scripture. Does scripture ever irritate you? No one's saying, yeah, once in a while, right? Love my wife even when she's being a pistol, right? Or love my husband even when he's being a pistol? Right? Yeah, not a suggestion, it's a command. Amen? As in all bounded, found, uh, excuse me, as in all buildings, the foundation must be secure. Guess what, scripture's your foundation. Inspectors compare structures to the certified blueprints. Anyone guess what our blueprints are? Scripture. There's a little pattern here, isn't it? Scripture, yes? We get aggravated when codes slow us down. Building codes, rafter codes, wiring codes, electrical codes, plumbing codes. They irritate us, don't they? That's going to cost more money. Sometimes we get irritated when Scripture slows us down. Is what I want to do, but then there's what God wants me to do. Amen? Well, Scripture's our guide. That's it. There's one more thing I forgot. It was an important one. Remember when we're looking at the men with the death wish? We see this here. What did God say? After, after, this man, after the men that was 
suffering food and sleep deprivation. After the man, um, Job, suffered all this calamity, after Moses was in a position where the ministry just overwhelmed him and, and the people were belly aching and he just got tired of their belly aching, what did God do? He gave Moses a helper, he gave Job some comfort, and he gave Elijah some sleep and some food. But then what did he do? You remember? He said, get to work. He told all five of those guys, get to work. Well, notice what it says here in this, this, this lesson. He says, the people that do God's commitment, get to work. Sometimes the best medicine when you're down and out is to help someone else that's more down and out. And you go to it. All right. Here's some of the solution. First one, I want to go to Psalm 13. Psalm 13. It's only six verses long. First four are pretty depressing. They are. But you know, it's come that one of my favorite words in the Bible is but. B-U-T, a conjunction. But. Okay? How long will thou forget me? Does that sound like a Mo- Moses? Does that sound like Elijah? Does that sound like Job, Jeremiah? Yes, it does, doesn't it? How long will thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long will thou hide thy face from me? How long? David, how many how longs do you have here? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? <coughs> how long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mine enemy say I have prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. Oh, that's depressing, isn't it? But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. That's that but. You know what? Judas never prayed this prayer. Jesus did. And the jailer learned to pray it. Amen? Maybe you ought to need to learn to pray it. I got news for you. Don't dwell on verses 1 through 4. Pray 5 and 6. Okay? Let's go to another one. That's a good scripture to write down when you're down in the dumps. Okay? Take a look. Look at all the me's and myself's and I's in verses 1 through 4. Okay? Philippians 4, 6 through 8. Here's another good passage for you. You might want to write this one down. Okay? Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. What do we notice about Samson, Saul, Abimelech, Ahithophel, and Zimri? They stopped talking to God. Well, Samson, he didn't talk with God. He talked at God. Okay? But he wasn't praying. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's one of the promises. There's a couple more promises in this passage. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. You know, I only know of one thing that fits the bill. Right here. These things is your scripture. It's your Bible. 
But notice what it says here. Those things, what things? The things that are good, that are pure, that are, right? Scripture. Which ye have both learned. Praise God, the jailer finally learned them. Judas let them go. Which ye have received, which ye have heard, which ye have seen. (laughs) Do. You know what that reminds me of? Get to work. Right? Get to work. Do. And the God of peace shall be with you. It's one of the things we need to do. It's a good verse to write down when you're in that deep place. Okay? Judas forgot to go there. He didn't pray this stuff. He didn't do this thing. He didn't reflect on Scripture. Good thing. All he could do is focus on the Jews and the money that was sitting in his hands. He threw it away. He thought that'd make him feel better. Didn't make him feel any better. Still had that guilt. James 4. This is one we spent a little time on last Sunday. I want to read 5 through 8 to you. Do ye think that Scripture saith in vain? Oh, no, James is quoting Scripture again. You starting to get the pattern here? The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to the envy, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. You know those five people that took, your, that took their lives? I think he can put that pride thing in all five of them. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I made this point last week. You cannot resist God when you're not submitting to God. I'm sorry, you cannot resist the devil when you're not submitting to God. When you're fighting God, you're giving the devil an inroad. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Those first ten, they were leaving God. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. When I was kids, I lived in a suburb, and there was chain-link fence with all the neighborhoods. And we used to play games, and we'd play hide-and-seek and kick the can and get in snowball fights. And we jumped fences all the time. But when you were going really fast as a kid and someone was chasing you with a snowball or trying to catch you in a game like kick the can and touch you, every once in a while, your foot wouldn't go in the hole of a chain link fence and you'd come down hard with a leg on each side of the fence. That hurt. Well, I think that's what this is saying, a double-minded man. You can't come on both sides of the fence. It's going to hurt. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. James 5. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his wave shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. You know, to appreciate this deliverance, you need friends. Amen. And when you withdraw yourself, your friends can't do you any good. So we are to be those friends, but we're also to make ourselves open and available to friends, both to minister and to be ministered unto. That's God's way. That's what the local church is for. That's what brethren are for. That's what wives are for. That's what parents are for. 
And when you shut your parents out, what you're doing is you're shutting down these opportunities. And believe it or not, in the 60 years I've lived, I had to admit once or twice that my parents were right and I was wrong. Just once or twice. <laughs> Every once in a while, someone will come up and admit the pastor was right. And he, come on, how many times have I done the touchdown dance? Never, never. I won't do the touchdown dance over you. God, I'll just say, praise the Lord. Maybe you'll be there for me when I make my fall. Amen? All right. So with that being said, we've just tackled a real tough subject of suicide and suicidal thoughts. Your natural tendency is to withdraw from God and people. It's to shut down and stop doing And those are exactly the opposite things you should do. You should be letting people in your life. You should be talking to God more. And you should get to work. Work on someone else other than yourself. And that will help get rid of that me monster too. May the Lord bless you and us. Thank you.